Hi, everybody. Mike and Kenton here. It is a Tuesday morning when we're recording this. We just got out of an hour's worth of celebrating all that God did in our community this past weekend and beyond. And it always is such a fun meeting to come from, to come into this uh, studio that we have here and uh, do this recording, because we have a lot to celebrate. Kenton, would you fill us in a little bit on this last weekend and all that it was? Well, we finished the series, and at the end of it, we gave, we talked about ritual, the rituals that God's given us, baptism, Lord's Supper, celebrated that, and then that powerfully teaches us who Jesus is to us and how uh, he is our Savior, and then we gave people the opportunity to stand up and say, I believe, and in the chapel and in the Irvine uh, Auditorium, Huntington Beach, Mission Viejo, People stood up in every service, and it was amazing. And you never can get over it, can you, to see somebody make that decision. And when they come, you know, you see them stand up or they came down to pray with the pastor, their eyes are big and wide and all over their face. They've got this sense, something big happened in my life, and this this is changing everything. And while they don't understand all of it, they understand what they did, and it was so exciting to see lives changed. I don't think we ever get over that. Mm. Then we had the question and answer time that was just wonderful. So exciting to see people come and want to know more and understand in a deeper way and to get their specific question asked and then to hear a response and then to get to talk back and forth. And older believers, younger believers, questions all over. And the response to it was overwhelming in that the people who came, they want to do more of it. They want to have more of this. So that was very encouraging. You had to love it, didn't you, Mike? Oh, my goodness, yes. For those of you that don't know what we're talking about, we did a 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock real informal, casual question and answer period that was driven by uh, the series, but not just – We weren't just answering questions about the series. They were bigger than that. And it was phenomenal. And the big thing you have to know is that Kenton wore shorts. And the reason (laughs) that's such a big deal uh, is he has great legs. Yeah. Uh, For an older gentleman, he doesn't have these wobbly little knees or varicose veins. He's got good running legs. And I think that really provoked a lot of questions about why women stumble over men. And it was was just kind of an interesting (laughs) deal. Uh, But but the big thing, I think, for me was just reflecting on the series – um, I know there's some things that I walk away with that weren't true when we started it in September. One, uh, for me, is just a renewed commitment to the poor and to the needy. That's what true religion is. Another one to me has been, um, where is Good Samaritan kind of love uh, manifest in my life? Where am I willing to get dirty and not just stay separate and stay apart? And interestingly enough, of course, God brings these sorts of situations to me right when we're wrestling with these questions. How would you, how would you either for our church or for yourself, uh, see our communities a bit different as a result of the, the teaching we've been doing? I think for people who've been around the church a long time, what I hear them talking about is that fresh reminder that it isn't what I do. And I'm doing some good things. And I like that I'm doing good things. But they get clarity on why they're doing good Mm -hmm. and what's important Mm -hmm. about that. And then for young believers, there's that fresh idea of, that's right, God loves me, and being overwhelmed by God's love. So I I think that is what's done in the church. And for me, even this last week, growing up in the church, Lord's Supper is something that can become very mechanical to me. It can Mm -hmm. be something that it's just the same thing over and over again, and as I spend time thinking about what does this really mean and investing my heart in it, 
I get so much back, but I do have to invest in it. I have to think about what this means. I have to remember some things. I have to choose to let go of some things. And if I don't do that, it it can be mechanical. We use that illustration of going on the same date over and over again. Right. And that can happen to me. I can yeah. it can become an empty uh, ritual because I let it be empty. Right. And so even this weekend, I worked hard to try to, in my own heart, find those things that I need to let go of, of these thoughts. Because you can't both remember all of what Jesus is saying in these and then hold on to I'm afraid or fear right. or I'm not enough or whatever it is, I'm not really forgiven or it's what I've got to do. So it was, a, it was good for me to look at that in a new way, invest in that. Go on a new date. Yeah, seriously. And and I think for our church, we, we're now turning into a, a new series uh, called Consumed that we'll start this weekend that I'm really excited for because it, it, it kind of takes some of these lessons and applies them very specifically in how Jesus undercuts the American dream. Because we, we do just want to remind ourselves that if the American dream is the land of opportunity and more resources means more happiness, joy, significance, uh, those things just aren't true uh, from a biblical perspective. And what Jesus has for us is so much bigger and deeper and richer. And this is the time of year it when is. we buy that lie. And in the next three weeks, especially as we move into the holiday season, I love this series because it is one I need. It protects my heart. It's like armor that I need. So many advertisements, so much stuff coming this way. And if I don't bolt down the concepts that we talk about this week and the next few weekends, you just go through the holiday so fast, you miss it all. And you come on the other side and your heart's burnt up, your bank account's smoking, (laughs) and you're depleted of energy. And so it gets, you know, it just ruins the heart. So I love, I need it. We all need it. Absolutely. So we encourage you to, to come and tune in that way. We've got some great questions uh, we have many from the um, the Q and A's that we did that we'll try to get to over the next several weeks, but some that were specific to this weekend. Uh, one question is this: If all of the sacrifices in the Old Testament were not for God, but were intended to provide humans with a graphic picture of how God views sin and the nature of our covenant, etc., then how was Jesus's death actually necessary? Did Jesus have to die as the lamb, like the lamb slain in the old covenant? And how is his death not just a symbol too, uh, one for us simply to be reminded of? Uh, what did his death actually accomplish and how is it compatible with the sacrifice as a symbol explanation? That's a brilliant question. It is. I, I'll take the first part of it. Why did Jesus have to die? Well, we, because of evil, have chosen sin. And sin, the consequence of sin, is death. And that's not just a word game. That's the reality of it. And it is, I like the illustration where, you know, if I stand in a court of law and I've broken the law, there's a judgment on me and there's a real fine that has to be paid. That fine has to be paid. And so sin brings death. That's the real consequence. The Old Testament were just pictures of that. I understand the seriousness of sin because I watch an animal die. I get the concept that an innocent must die so that guilty can go free. But those were pictures of something that really had to happen. And so when Jesus dies, he takes my sin, the penalty for my sin, which is death, and he dies in my place. It's the great exchange. He takes my sin and I get his righteousness. That really had to happen. It's not just a word game. And so when, you know, when Jesus dies, if there was another way, you know, if Jesus could just call it quits or go ollie ollie oxen free, he would not send his son to die 
that's just extreme. But Jesus literally had to die in my place for my sin. So while there's pictures in the Old Testament, there's a reality and the debt had to be paid. Jesus paid that debt and bought me out of sin. Yeah, we would say, um, uh, going completely along with that, that the sacrifice of Jesus was much different than the sacrifices of the Old Testament. The sacrifice of Jesus satisfied something in God, whereas the sacrifices of the Old Testament and the rituals of the New Testament do not. That's a huge point. God isn't up there um, looking for, for his justice to be satisfied when I take communion, as though my taking communion changes his view towards me. But in the sacrifice of Jesus, and this is Paul's argument in Romans 3, that the sacrifice of Jesus satisfied the justice of God. This is your courtroom analogy. There was something, and we don't like this much these days, but it is absolutely true that that for God to forgive um, sinful, imperfect people and to maintain his holy character and justice, there had to be a third party that entered the equation because we could not pay um, the, the, the wages of sin ourselves. And so absolutely the sacrifice of Jesus is completely different from the other ones. It's not just a reminder, although we celebrate it, we need reminding, but it affected something in us and in God. Second question, if all that is required for initiating a life of faith is merely believing, then why does Jesus say to potential disciples they must count the cost and hate their mother, father, sisters, brothers, etc. to follow him? Aren't those two things at odds? When does a believer become a disciple? Those, that's a great question too. It is. You want to take a swing at that? It's progressive. And I'll start and you add, when I, when I come to Jesus, I'm saying I'm giving up all of my efforts, my self-improvement plans to make myself righteous, and I'm giving and I'm trusting in Jesus. But in a deeper way, I'm saying, I'm giving my life. I'm betting my life. I'm trusting in you that I can't and God, you can. And as I go through life, the Christian life is a forever, it is a continual decision on that initial decision of surrender, of saying, I follow you. I'm going to trust you. I'm believing in you. And so while I make that first decision, and my experience is to say, I believe that Jesus died in my place for my sin. And that's about what I'm aware of. Then the next step that Jesus comes along is he says, I want you to trust me in this decision. These are the, this is the way that you're to go. And so I believe him. I trust and say, all right, what you say is right. I'm going to believe that. Then I keep going down the road and I get another I believe decision. You say that I should mm-hmm. live this mm-hmm. way or in your word you say I should surrender this. I've got to trust you with my job and occupation. You'll take care of me. I'll trust you with my money. And I begin to be a, uh, a giver. It is another I believe moment. Okay, I'll believe that you'll provide for me. I'll believe that you protect me. And God makes good on that promise. And then he moves me further. And the Spirit is forever moving me to deeper places where it's really a step forward and a step up. I'm stepping forward in my trust, but it's not just forward. It's a step up towards God saying, God, I'm going to trust you in a bigger way, in a deeper way. And that's the whole journey of life, which we call sanctification, which the Holy Spirit's about constantly challenging me. From my standpoint, I have the experience of the Holy Spirit challenging me, trust more, believe me at this place. And I step forward and step up towards God. And I love that picture. That's what we do. That's absolutely right. I, I, hearing you talk, I think of the analogy of marriage, that um, 
well, the first theological point before I get to the analogy is in, in believing, in the Bible, belief never just means intellectually agreeing with. Right. It always means trusting or stepping into or confidence in. It never so, uh, in America, believing just means I can give a right answer. And that is a very false understanding. When I say I believe, it means I'm embracing the reality behind the words uh, or the intellectual information I possess. But for me, the marriage analogy is the one that is most helpful because I stood, uh, I was t- married when I was 29, which is a shocker considering how good looking I am. And um, you just had I so stood, many women chasing you. you it, was to, it was tough. Finally, one to caught pick. you. That's well, right. Or, or uh, I, the first one that said yes won. So <laughs> uh, you can look at it either way. But I stood before Eric Hurd, who's a pastor at Mariners and in our old uh, uh, worship center. And uh, Eric pronounced me uh, a husband when I just simply said, I do. And that began a journey. That wasn't the end. I didn't cross a line that finished uh, a race. I I closed one chapter and opened an entire new one. And for me, the I do part, I I was pronounced a husband but didn't have a clue what it meant to be a husband. And the rest of my married life now is learning to be what is already true of me. And the only way marriage works, don't we say this in premarital counseling, is when uh, somebody who's married looks at you and says, listen, you can't act like a single person anymore. You can't think like a single person anymore. You have to put all of that away to really pursue what it means to have a covenant, a, a godly, good, loving covenant of marriage. And I think this is what Jesus does when he says, you cannot love anything more than you love me and be my disciple. He's saying this relationship doesn't work if there's any other competing allegiance. Right. Now, there's going to be, and that's where I love you talk about the work of the Spirit, the community, and the Word to transform us. You talk about the fact that it's a process, hallelujah, that it's a process where we confess our sins and repent and just... but. We don't do any of that to regain status before God. We're literally becoming what's already true of us in the same way that I'm still learning to become a husband. So that's a great question, but I think the ordering is exactly the point you led with and that is the most important point. One more thing, too, is Lori had that conversation with me. Like Jesus says, unless you're willing to you know, give up everything else, you've got to give up your parents. You've got right. to give up your family. Is this about, you know, are you going to be connected to them or is this about you connecting with me? That's so right. we use that same language in marriage. And then I've got to make good on that decision. That's so right. That's I right. like that illustration. But, but even when you don't, it's the nature of covenant love, like we've right. talked about, that there's room for that imperfection and growth. Right. One last quick one uh, from somebody who attended the open forum we did Sunday night. Um, we had talked about spiritual gifts and had made the argument that um, we believe that they are all operative. There, wasn't, there weren't some that ceased during the apostolic period. But then the question is, well, if that's true, then why did we not see the gifts of tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy inside the confines of the services at Mariner's? <laughs> yes. That's a good one. Yes. Well, one thing I would say, I can answer that at least from my perspective. You've got obviously a lot more history. Um, we believe those gifts are operative, but we also believe they're very divisive. And when you read Paul's argument from 1 Corinthians 12 through all the way through to chapter 14 and through it, what you see is that he talks about the spiritual gifts and then he talks about how they're used in the community. And there are three huge principles, love, order, and unity. 
that are to govern the use of spiritual gifts. And unfortunately, these gifts have been so divisive, they've been so abused, um, that we we simply, for the sake of love, order, unity, at least in my case, I, I, I welcome them to be practiced, but not in ways that would be publicly divisive. Um, I'm sure there are people who have these gifts in our community. I know them, and hallelujah for them. But we don't have time in an hour and 20-minute service to really explain, coach, and lead people into these expressions in ways that wouldn't harm some folks along the way. And I think that uh, churches that are uh, what you would say very Pentecostal or charismatic churches, you go. To, I've gone to their services, and typically even in their big services, you do not experience the speaking in tongues and interpretation. They, they put it at different times and places right. because it's confusing for some people. It is hard to manage. And I think those churches do a great job at it, but it's a challenge. That's not the tradition I grew up in, and I, it's a challenge I don't want to try to manage. I got, I got too many things to try to manage <laughs> on a weekend, much less those things. And so yep. I, I love that people do that, and I, and I know many people who have. I think the issue there, too, is that, that heavenly prayer language that people feel like they connect to God with. And I love that they have that experience, and it is a very devotional kind of moment for them. But not everybody experiences that, and it gets to be confusing. So I like your three key principles there. So um, we do always want to welcome the gifts of the Spirit in our community. Um, it is just an, always an interesting conversation when you go down these roads. And, and quite frankly, I've been very, very impressed with the folks who do have this gift, who don't force it on our community, and the folks that don't, beginning to realize, hey, there are all sorts of folks that do have these gifts, and it's okay. I've always loved about Mariners that we keep the main thing the main thing. So uh, that's it for this week. Unfortunately, we these times always go so fast, but we love that you tune in. And, and I'd encourage you to write in some questions. Mike is not feeling challenged. So he, <laughs> he wants some harder questions here. So come yes. on ahead. Yes. How could a good God allow bald people? That's what <laughs> I want to know. Um, and why did he make junk food taste so good? Those are my two big and questions. ice cream that tastes good oh, and makes you fat. my dark he could, Why didn't he give us ice cream that my makes dark, us skinny? See? See? That is so good. Anyway, while we wrestle and ponder these deep things, we hope you have a great week. Peace to you.